Welcome back to The Imposters, the podcast series for PhD students by PhD students. I am your host, Francesca Vaghi, and this month we will be talking about PhD rites of passage. It is my pleasure to welcome two new guests to the studio today, Rebecca Bradshaw, who recently completed her PhD in History of Arts and Archaeology at SOAS, and Thomas van der Molen from the Department of Anthropology, also at SOAS. Thanks for tuning in to SOAS Radio, and welcome once again to The Imposters. Take a load up. So welcome once again. It's so lovely to uh, introduce two new guests as we do each month. As I mentioned, uh, we will be talking today about rites of passage, many of which we have to go through as PhD students. Um, we will talk a bit about what that means, uh, which which ones that we go through. So at SOAS, we have the upgrade in the first year and then confirmation of status in the third year. And then obviously the, the big ones, the submission and the viva. And we are very lucky today because I am with uh, Rebecca who last year submitted her PhD thesis and has done her viva and will be graduating uh, this summer, I believe. Uh, so the ultimate rite of passage, if you will. And Thomas just recently submitted as well. So he's waiting for his viva. Meanwhile, I am working towards my third year upgrade, which is another, I guess, rite of passage of sorts, a tiring one for sure. So um, yes, let's dive in. Uh, I would like to welcome Rebecca and, and get her to introduce herself and her research a bit. Hi, thank you very much for having me today. Um, my research was about archaeology. Um, I had been working, I had been working as an archaeologist uh, across the Middle East and North Africa um, for several years before I started my PhD. Um, and I had become somewhat disillusioned with archaeology. So I decided, uh, because there wasn't anything um, on the subject regarding Sudan, I decided to do basically an investigation of how archaeology works in the present, its social, economic and political impacts. Um, so I started started doing that research. So I had to do a radical change from doing and using traditional archaeological methods to basically an anthropology PhD. Mm. So it was a very steep learning curve. Um, but I hope that I've generated something that's um, new and, and useful. But I can talk more about that later. Absolutely. Thank you. Thomas. Yeah. Uh, so I'm beyond my submission. And uh, what is I'm focusing on is time, uh, sense of time in the context of the search for documents of migrants and particularly Tibetan migrants in Nepal and in Switzerland. So I'm a hardcore anthropologist, so to speak. I'm one of the many here at SOAS who is also very familiar with rites of passage, etc. Mm, yep, great. Um, so before we we um, go a bit deeper into what these are, do we think, uh, you know, it's important to think about rites of passage at all um, during the PhD? Or do we feel like maybe it's just a bit overrated and bureaucratic? Um, when it makes sense to talk about rites of passage. Uh, yeah, it does. It does to me, definitely. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean... Uh, yeah, this this sense of uh, being betwixt and between mm. the the famous line <laughs> that Rebecca I think is getting a little bit tired <laughs> of, but uh, I I am still buying it so to speak. So <laughs> I love this. Yeah, and mm. uh, it makes a lot of sense in terms of the kind of um, kind of uh, the the road that I have walked so far, mm. uh, which was quite bumpy at many points. Yeah, we can talk about. Yeah, it we later. will. We definitely yeah. will. Yes, I mean, the the idea that um, each student needs to go through a, a set of rights to build the blocks that they need to get to the end, I think, um, A, it's necessary, it's part of the process. I mean, you can see the whole process as a rite of passage, which is what mm. Thomas had said a minute ago, by the way. So, yes, I think it is a useful thing to think about as part and part of the process. 
Yeah, great. So as the listeners uh, that have heard this show before might know, and those that haven't, you will find out that I asked the guests to bring in some songs to share with us, uh, motivational songs or just things that got them through the PhD. So I would like to start with one of Rebecca's choices, which is uh, Max uh, Richter or Reichter. I'm not sure. Uh, the Twins, Prague. Can you tell us a bit about the song and why you chose it? Um, this is just a piano piece. Um, like a lot of other um, PhD students or writers, I guess, I need lyricless music most of the time. Otherwise, it fuzzies the other noise in my brain. So this was it's very simple, quite moving, quite pensive. Um, but the key is, is the lack of lyrics. I'm sure that we will all enjoy it and we'll be back shortly. First up are the kind of first rites of passage. Um, so we mentioned, you know, the first year upgrade. We all did that, I think. What were your concerns before we we reached this hurdle? I remember feeling very stressed about it and, and as if it was the most important thing that I had ever written, which now we know isn't. Yeah, yeah well, the way I, I felt at the time uh, is difficult for me to recall because, I mean, I, I've taken, well, as all of us, Without a doubt, I've taken so many hurdles, so I can't really kind of get into the field that I had at that time mm. anymore because of the multitude of hurdles I took afterwards. Mm. But uh, yeah, if if I give it a shot and just think back at that time, I, I should have taken, I should have kept a diary, but I didn't. Mm. But um, yeah, it was definitely this uh, this feeling of that this is it, basically, mm. this is a big step to mm. take. Mm. Whereas now I feel it's only a small one. But at that time I felt it was a big step and I felt very nervous about the uh, mini Viva especially. Mm. Yeah, mm. it was definitely a passage of, about which I, I felt very nervous. Mm. Yes, no, I mean, I would echo that um, completely. I mean, it feels like it all comes quite suddenly as well. You begin the year... It's the year before as well, so you think that you have Christmas coming and then it's New Year and mm. oh, by the time it's spring, it will surely have all fallen into place. I found that it crept up on me and that actually I hadn't left myself nearly enough time to do it. So I was concerned not just with the paper and the fact that I hadn't written something of that length by that point in a few years. I know it's not like that for everybody, but um, I was out of practice in mm. terms of writing big you know, chunky pieces of research. So it was the paper itself. It was also the content. As I mentioned, I had this massive change. So I was also very keen to prove to everyone that what I had suggested was viable and that I could do it despite having no no background in it whatsoever. So incredible amounts of stress. I would agree with Thomas that, of course, as soon as it's passed, it's like anything. You look back and you think, because you've then gone through something that's even harder... Mm. You look back and you think, well, why on earth was I worried about that? But the stress, I think, that comes with something like that is probably necessary and crucial for you to sort of excel at that sort of thing. But um, in terms of any other first years who haven't done their upgrade yet, try not to panic too much. Absolutely. Actually, shout out one of our guests from the last episode who's done, she's done her Viva today. So hopefully she, she, she was fine. She was quite nervous. She told me about it, but I'm sure, I'm sure she'll feel similarly to us in a few weeks, maybe even, even, yeah. Yes. I think you've picked up, Rebecca, on, on something quite important, actually, that um, it's kind of this, this moment where we have to prove ourselves. I don't know. I, I sometimes feel like my, my academic confidence gets tested quite a lot. And I don't know if you guys feel the same. Academic confidence, yeah. Actually, I, I haven't really experienced so much in academic terms as in emotional terms, so to speak. Okay. It's more of kind of like an emotional process for me mm. than it is academic process. I mm. can't really say that. Okay, 
interesting. Yeah, so mm. the, the whole experience is quite crazy, right? Also for the outside world. Mm. So Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, my emotional confidence has been tested, but mm. uh, it's a good it's a good challenge to take. I'm glad I took it. Yeah, actually, before we, we came to the studio, Rebecca and I were asking ourselves whether we would do this again if we know, or now we know what it's like. And I think we both agreed that we would, mm. but we would do it differently. Yes, yes. Some things on the how you do it would change for sure. But um, ultimately, um, I, I try and remind myself or have tried to remind myself in the past that it's only with great pressure and a great challenge that you really feel like you've excelled what you were capable of so even though that didn't really help me much at the time rather than looking back now and thinking oh where is me I've spent five years attaining something that really once it's done you don't think about the doctor all that much I've not found anyway um, I enjoy using it it's still very exciting um, and I get posts from my mother that says Dr Rebecca Bradshaw and so on so I think she's probably enjoying it even more than I am <laughs> but rather than look back and think gosh that was a really you know wasted five years would I have been able to achieve what I've achieved in any other way had I not had this vast amount of pressure and the, the big you know the the size of the challenge and it, it must be no, right? Because unless you have the challenge, you can't live up to it and therefore sort of surprise yourself. Yeah. 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 Would you put yourself through the PhD again, Thomas? Yes, I would definitely. Yeah, I, I like challenges anyway. So I would like to take it again if I could. Yeah. yeah. In like a parallel universe, I would. Yeah. <laughs> Great. We are going to go into a little musical interlude again. This time, one song that Thomas brought um, by Mia Doitot. It's called River of Life or the Yes Song. And can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, I'd love to actually, yeah. Um, because this is a song that I didn't know before. It's already around 10 years old. And it was introduced to me and I think quite a few others um, by watching a documentary film called Brilliant Moon, Glimpses of Dilgo Kyense Rinpoche. So he is a Tibetan Buddhist teacher and uh, he passed away around... 15 years ago, as, I, as far as I know. And, um, yeah, he's an important master. I'm Buddhist myself, so I really enjoyed, although enjoyment doesn't really capture the sense, but I really enjoyed this film. And uh, about in the last part of it, um, I think after he has basically been uh, narrated as passing away, after he has passed away, so to speak, in a documentary film, this this song is is played and it's really moving. Because uh, it actually exactly evokes what is what is told in that film. So mm. it's about his life, basically. But the song itself was not written for him or about him. But somehow this, this singer from the United States, uh, who is our age, as far as I know, oh. she, she kind of sings about the, the things that you can see in that film.
Ah, such a lovely. I think this might also come in the list of things to have in the background as we write. Or uh, it has lyrics, but it just seems no, so so peaceful. So the next thing that I thought would be interesting to talk about is uh, I don't know if it could be classified as a rite of passage, but it certainly is like the end of a certain point of the PhD, which is the end of field work, I guess, for the three of us. In this case, we all were doing field research. And how did we kind of um, grapple with the challenges that come with that? I don't know, in my case, just the amount and your cases, I'm sure the amount of data that you come back with, right, and, and having to face the enormous task of organizing it and trying to put it into a coherent order was very uh, intense, I would say, but I would love to hear how it was for you. Yeah, um, well, during my field work, uh, I went through quite a lot. Yeah, well, suffice it to say, I couldn't continue my field work, first of all, in the country where I started off. So uh, then I came back to Europe and I worked with Tibetan migrants there. And it was quite something, but I, I know a few other anthropologists who have had a similar experience in which their fieldwork was very different from the way they had expected it to go. And yeah, they took an approach that inspired me, at least one of my colleagues, just to actually take that itself as a point of observation or reflection and to make it into your fieldwork itself or to actually appreciate it because it already is basically to appreciate it as your own field work mm. and to go forward in this way and that helped me too yeah 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 i mean i would i would uh, say that i um experienced bits of what you both said in terms of um the data francesca mm. that you've meant uh, that you mentioned just now i definitely and in terms of little nuggets to to pass on i'm really not trying to uh, get too preachy here mm -hmm. but um I had a friend say to me the other day, she's doing a PhD as well, and she was saying, well, I'm going to do, I'll do 10 interviews in Egypt, let's say, 10 in Morocco, 10 in Jordan. And I was, I said to her, forget it. You know, you need a, a fraction of that and maybe one place, two max, because by the time you've actually got your literature review in there, a good, decent methodology, you know, everything actually adds up to the extent that I was slashing mm. thousands of words by the end. And you that feels like such a waste. I mean, it's inevitable to a certain extent. And, of course, that data can usually, if you're industrious, can go towards a, another article. But nevertheless, that would be a big takeaway from my experience. Stop collecting data um, and just give yourself more time the other end to understand that data, to play around with it, go over and over and over and over mm. and over it until you're blue in the face. <laughs> Then things will start appearing and making sense. Um, and outliers, things that don't make sense, you'll be able to figure out rational reasons for these, but it all takes time. So my writing up period, my post-fieldwork period, of course, is technically meant to be one year it was just over two. So, I mean, for me, fieldwork itself was wonderful. The post-fieldwork period was nightmarish. Mm, I think I can relate to that slightly. I think also, I mean, I think in most fieldwork scenarios, fieldwork is really intense as well. You go from spending time talking to people, doing participant observation. It's so intense. And then you're faced with the loneliness of a desk and a screen. Mm and having to write on your own and sitting on a desk as well is hard when you're being active otherwise. I don't think I hate it, but it's it's not easy. Mm. Yeah. And then obviously, I think we were chatting a bit about some of the other pressures that come along with coming back to London, especially, which is an expensive city to live in and managing having, I think in your case, it was a part time job, if I'm not mm -hmm. misremembering, Rebecca. Yeah, mm -hmm. that sounds like it was very intense. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think like Thomas and yourself, actually, I was on a studentship, um, AHRC, um, overspent slightly on fieldwork, never mind, just about, you know, got to the end of that, but then I hadn't finished. So happily, I had uh, got a job with UCL based in Qatar, um, so it was relevant work, but the... Uh, if I had been financially solvent at that time, I may have thought twice about taking it because it intruded obviously so much on my time. A great job, nothing about that, just about the, in terms of time. Um, because even though you're getting the money in, you're automatically not spending that chunk of time on your thesis. So you've of got course. to be prepared that everything is then pushed back. 
So I sympathise. I mean, that's not even the worst. I'm sure we all know people who have got seriously bad financial situations. So um, certainly not the worst that I've heard of, but it wasn't pleasant either. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, this post fieldwork period and for that matter, yeah, I mean, as an extended period, all of the two years, I mean, ideally speaking, two years. Uh, yeah, in both your case, Rebecca, and mine, right, it, it took much longer. Mm. So, um, yeah, this is really difficult. It's such a ridiculously expensive city, and as I now also experience, but, yeah, we could also talk about that later. If we just go forward in time, at the moment I'm finding myself right now, I, I also find it difficult to find a job waiting for the Viva. Mm. So, I mean, it's just very difficult, and it seems to be a huge difference, for instance, with my own country, Holland. It's just a very neoliberalized city, and then the amount of jobs that you can find there is very low, and any little petty job, so to speak, is something that hundreds of people apply for, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I find it really a challenge to live here, to survive here in this city. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that's just part and parcel, I guess, of, of being a PhD student in London. But it's it's good to share these things as well for, for listeners that might be going through the same. Mm. Definitely also... Yeah, that it, it is doable, even if it's really hard, I guess. In our, I don't know about you, Thomas, but I, I've managed to save quite a lot by teaching this term while still having my studentship, so that's been mm. nice. Well done. Yeah, but, you know, it's I, I was saying to Thomas before the um, podcast that it's so nice to have somebody that works on time because um, I, I feel like time when you're doing a PhD just fast forwards a bit. Mm. So you feel when you start, oh, yes, I have three, four years to really spend time on something but then it just flies away and you don't yeah. realize it and I think I was a bit caught off guard this at the, at kind of midway into third year thinking wow <laughs> time is running out and yeah. they want something from me soon <laughs> yeah, it's like the era of time right so yeah that's right yeah it's interesting to think along temporal lines here yeah but then this all happened. I mean, what I cannot really tell you about, but I, I really needed to redistribute quite a lot of the money, so it made it more difficult. And, and then I ran into trouble when I needed to uh, kind of get through the fourth year. And uh, because of this, I, I was really feeling very anxious, and um, that slowed me down in my work, so it was like a vicious cycle, basically. Mm. And in the end, I had to apply for an extension, and fortunately, I have a very supportive supervisor. So, yeah, Paru, thank you so much for all of your <laughs> for all of your commitment. I, I have no words to thank you, really. If I can take this chance of to course. thank my supervisor, <laughs> of Paru. Of course, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, if it wasn't for her support, I would have never made it. But in the end, I did because I I could, and she actually told me that I need to apply for an extension. Okay. So I did. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. We were talking on the way here with Rebecca about the importance of having a su supportive supervisor and those of us lucky enough to have one, um, or in my case, two even. Uh, I, I, I cannot, I, I, I just tell them how grateful I am every time I see them because I really am. I know how hard it is when you don't have one. Yeah, great. So a little, a little rocky... Uh, you know, beginning of the of the writing up phase, it seems, for the three of us. So now I would like to play a song that I chose. Um, it's by a Zimbabwean singer-songwriter called Oliver Mutukudzi, and the song's called Ndima Dapetsa. And it's a song that I really like. I think I was trying earlier to find a translation for the lyrics. Um, I couldn't, but I remember when I first listened to it that I had found it. And I think it means like I'm on my way. Um, so I thought it would be a, a nice um, transi transition to go into um, a discussion about the final rites of passage. So handing of the thesis, the viva. And uh, and kind of all the all the other little little things that happen around that time, which I'm really looking forward to hearing from you both because I I've, I can't even see it in my in my horizon yet. So we'll 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 be right back with those things. I'm gonna 
We've reached the uh, almost the end of today's episode, and we'll be talking about the final rites of passage. Then, uh, as I mentioned before, something that for me seems not even on the horizon, and you guys are past them. And in Rocka's case, you're even already working on in a comp- almost completely different sector now. Um, Thomas is looking for jobs, so maybe it already seems like a very distant memory. Handing in the thesis. I don't know. It doesn't feel like that distant memory, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Yet, I think because the the time between submission and actually getting your certificate. I mean, I haven't got my certificate yet, oh, so wow. it's been a year, and it's still not. You know, I haven't got a bow on it yet. It's not completely done. So I think the um, transitioning out of the PhD is not a sort of you hand in right. I mean, we all know that the viva comes after and we all know that there are potential corrections. But nevertheless, just the time between, you know, thesis being sent off, your examiner getting it and then the viva and then them getting back to you. I had some minor corrections and it should have taken me two days. Did I do it then? No, I didn't. I left it, you know, and then so that took another few months. So, um you know, transitioning out, um, it's not a distant memory yet, but, um, mm. I mean, I said to Thomas just before we started, um, the quality of my life, I have to, just speaking personally, has just skyrocketed. Um, I'm so much happier than I was a year ago. Um, different person in many ways. So for me, it's been fantastic. That final rite of passage was um, stressful, but ultimately incredibly liberating, and I'm glad it's over. Yeah. Oh, my my experience has been quite different from yours. Uh, actually, the final rite of passage, well, the semi-final, uh, you have passed the final, but I mean the semi-final of submission, or the first submission, I should say. Um, for me, it wasn't so much of a like, huge rite of passage in, in which I passed from being betwixt and between to kind of being in the community again. I don't really feel that way. Yeah, I'm really because of the work, because of the work issue. I'm still in sort of like an existential struggle. I wouldn't say crisis because it doesn't feel so dramatic, but still um, it's it's kind of uh, coming back to something that I wouldn't necessarily call community. It is yet a different being betwixt and between mm. in my perception. Mm. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, when I say, you know, the quality of my life has has gone up, I totally stand by that. Is everything totally clear in my mind about what just happened, what's happening now and what's going to happen in the future? Is that all clear? No. But I feel at least I have a little bit more space where I can work on it. Whereas before I was thinking, I don't know where this is heading, but I haven't actually got any time to reflect upon it because it still needs to be done, Mm. if you see what it means. So... Um, yeah, all very hazy. I would agree with what you said. And it sounds, as you say, quite common amongst, you know, PhDs who are finishing off to have a different type of anxiety. It may not mm. be connected or similar to the one that it was during the writing up, but a different set of concerns raises its head. And then, of course, yeah. you, you go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I don't know how you guys did it for me. I've think um, today I've decided it goes by days today I've decided that I should focus only on writing up and finishing and then worry about what comes next Mm. when when I 
you know, get to that point. But, you know, I, I know that so many people also manage to think about postdocs and jobs whilst they're writing up. And I, I find that so admirable because how do they do it? I, yeah, I find it so difficult to keep afloat with what I've got to do to begin with. I don't know how that was for you guys in the writing up phase. Did you find that you were able already to kind of start to think about what the next stage after writing up? No, and, uh, I, I didn't do that at all. And I was really glad that I could live in the moment. I really needed that. Mm. If, if I would have kind of taken steps forward, that would have kind of destroyed the very precarious steps I was taking anyway. Mm. So I'm, I'm glad that at least I could really do it step by step and also really feel what I was going through when it comes to last fall, when I was kind of experiencing quite a lot of anxiety and process that step by step and then get back to the writing without anxiety, without too much worries about finance and then to finish it up. Otherwise, I would never have been able to complete it. So I'm, I'm glad that in the new year, I could take the next step and again the next and then finally arrive at the step of handing in. So that was definitely a good feeling. And um, mm. yeah, I couldn't have done it without this kind of gradual step taking. Mm. I would agree with that. And funnily enough, I think looking back, even if you don't give it all of this time in that moment, like, right, I'm going to sit down and plan out what's going to happen after my PhD. Even if you don't, even if, like in those sort of snatched moments, I think for me anyway, that was enough. It was just quietly ticking away in the back of my mind, you know, little ideas or something drops in the email from LinkedIn or something and you think, oh, that looks interesting. Or, But you don't have to give it that much thought. Like you say, you... I felt I literally couldn't, as you say. I can't move forward with this if I have to think about that. I appreciate this is also a relative luxury. Um, but nevertheless, I found that things were generally sort of ticking away. So when it came to finishing up and then thinking, right, where do I go from here? I wasn't totally bereft of ideas. Um, and usually by this point, you know yourself a little bit better and you know what you're prepared to do what you're not prepared to do, questions such as, do you want to stay in academia? Yeah. I found for a lot of people comes quite clear by the end of it. Even if it's temporary, I thought to myself, well, I'll take a year after finishing, leave academia completely, because if I like it, I've got my title now. Um, I'm still going to be doing bits and pieces of research and then I can come back. So I think generally, I think if you just leave it ticking over, mm. you can probably you know, land on your feet the other side, mm. nevertheless. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, yeah. that, that image really uh, sticks in my mind now, of uh, basically like a cat that you land on your feet, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> whereas you have fallen down, you still land on your feet, yeah. And it may not feel like it, but ultimately, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good to hear because at least I, I find myself really stressing out some days about not knowing what it is that I need but at the same time knowing that I still need to get a PhD to do whatever it is that I want to do whether it's academia in my case hopefully academia or something else I need to finish this well enough to progress so yeah that's no, good it strikes me if you can afford I mean quite literally to leave that decision to the end mm. then you can and it's fine yeah very nice words of advice and now I want to put Rebecca a bit on the spot and ask her about the Viva and this kind of almost mystical process that you know we kind of all know about but then there seems to still be a lot of secrecy around what actually the experience of a Viva is um, so do you have anything in particular about the Viva that you'd like to share with us? I suppose this is going to be so annoying. And if I was listening to me, I would find this annoying as well. Um, but everyone was saying to me beforehand, you'll probably really enjoy it. And I was thinking, there is no way I'm going to enjoy this. There's just no way. But of course, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, <clears throat> um, a, one thing that was um, causing me a lot of angst beforehand was the, this question of who do you choose for your examiners and there had been um, discussions with friends and so on who said right you basically got two options you can go for examiners who are very low down in your area and maybe increase your chances of going through smoothly 
or you pick the top guys in your field and you really show off, you know, what you can do. But it's a risk. So I chose the latter, which happily paid off. And the enjoyment doesn't come, obviously, from being grilled, because no one likes being grilled. For me, the enjoyment stemmed from the fact that I was talking to two people who were highly engaged with what I was doing and who could give really, really interesting and good feedback. They were also nice people. That was, I think, I mean, I'd done a bit of research and emailed their uh, students saying, you know, what do you think of these guys? Um, So I did get a bit of behind-the-scenes info about their personalities because, you know, you hear these nightmares of people who don't pass you just because they disagree with your argument. So I heard that they were nice guys. They did turn out to be nice guys, and that obviously changes the tone incredibly because if they're very personable and you feel like you can respectfully disagree or take an extra minute to really substantiate your argument, then the whole thing's a lot easier. So I was very lucky in that sense. But um, you get to talk about your research with people who really are interested in your research and who have got a certain amount of historical perspective on what you're doing and who, again, if you're lucky, are going to be pleased to have met you because Mm. what you're doing is interesting and new. And if they're smart, they'll want to know about you as well. So um, Viva, yeah, very mysterious. Uh, You go with it, I suppose. But um, I never thought I'd be saying, but I I did. I really enjoyed it. No, but that's wonderful to hear. Are you looking forward to your Viva, Thomas? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm fortunate enough. I feel very grateful uh, to have two uh, examiners in my committee who are chosen by my supervisor. And one of them, she asked my advice on the other I, I couldn't have even dreamt of asking, I think. This is why his name didn't come to my mind. So there are two very great people in the field of the anthropology of asylum, so to speak. Well, one one um, works on Tibet, the other works on asylum more specifically. But I'm very happy that they are the ones who will examine my work. So I don't mind waiting so much until October, although it's a little bit of a pain. That's the downside. But uh, the agenda, one of them, uh, is only open at that point. So I, I'll just take that for granted, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm really happy with this. Mm-hmm. And in terms of preparation for the Viva, um, was that um, easy? Or I don't know, I can't imagine. I mean, you you know the pieces inside out by that point. So It is, but then if you have any sort of period of time passing before you uh, between submission and viva you have that terrible first read over after you've submitted and of course because like you say you know the thesis so well your eyes straight away goes to the lack of a comma <laughs> um, a reference that you've since noticed is not 2009 is actually 2008 all of these little things oh, I could have phrased that better so you go through this fairly nasty first read Um, But then I found that the more preparation I did, the more I was able to deploy the key arguments in my thesis with more ease. Um, And I did what what I was told to do, basically, by friends, which was just prepare as thoroughly as you can. You can find so many websites that have this list of generic list of questions that you can practice. Um, I was very lucky because... um, my boyfriend uh, went through my thesis as well, bless him, and he's high, far cleverer than, than me. Um, and I said to him, right, just take it to shreds. <laughs> Attack it from any possible angle that you can and let's see, you know, where the holes are. So he complied, which was really nice of him. Um, and I had my parents going through drafts as well. So I, you know, I mobilised the network, had them read, then we discussed certain things. I had my list of answers ready um so this is a total ramble the answer to your question is yeah I prepared a lot it was really worth it because I felt confident once I'd started talking of course um and nothing to be honest everything that I prepared for nothing was asked like that so it was this is interesting you know tell me why you did it like this rather than justify with you know um examples from the literature why you did Mm. this so i didn't find it confrontational at all it was far more of a conversation no but that's great i I was just thinking right now that i should make a clip of all the all the 
things you did to prepare for anyone going through a viva because it sounds so great that you got friends and family to to go through it and and probably even though you asked them to be um thorough you know you were also comfortable with them that you you might have been okay with being confronted uh exactly it doesn't come from quite as um unknown a source you can take yeah, it yeah exactly yeah. exactly no thank you for sharing that that's yes. excellent how how do you foresee that the preparation process will go for you um yeah that's a good question yeah i think uh, i shall ask rebecca after the <laughs> program if she can guide me in this yeah uh, yeah I, I still haven't made up my mind about that it was it will take a while right uh, maybe around four months or yeah. even more or five even could be even november before mm. i have my five okay so i think i will read my thesis again I, i'm not sure yeah I, I should have my elevator pitch ready mm-hmm. so as you could all hear it wasn't ready yet at least during this program so it's okay it needs to be developed still yeah i need to be able to tell the examiners in five minutes what my research is about yeah yeah well you know you have time and uh hopefully just as in rebecca's case lots of uh lovely people that will take the time to read your work and and help you in the process <laughs> yeah plus i thought Trust it was so. quite good anyway yes introduction oh thanks yeah it, sh- it should be a bit more elaborate <laughs> so the argument should be outlined more clearly like in like five minutes or so yeah well you'll get there now we will hear a song that uh rebecca brought by Kanye west <laughs> which i i love the contrast between the two music choices that rebecca sent us um so can you tell us a bit about why waves by Kanye west is is a motivational maybe song i will um and i imagine when people are listening to it they'll agree it's just a hilarious song. Okay. Um, Kanye West to me is someone who's just very interesting. I enjoy watching Kanye West go through his life. <laughs> I like watching, see what he does and so on. Uh, I find him quite an interesting character. Mm. Um, but some of the lyrics in this song are just ludicrous. So this was the song that I put on if I wanted to have uh, a bit of a sing slash laugh. But it's also a very beautiful song. So... Yeah, it's got everything. It has. Everything. It has. Right. So. so we'll be right back after Waves by Kanye West. Step up in this bitch like I'm the one you bitch like Yeah, I'm the one you bitch like And I be talking shit like I ain't scared to lose a fist fight And she grabbing on my like She wanna see if it'll fit right That's just the way Shine in the shade. Bird can't fly in the cage. Even when somebody go away, the feelings don't really go away. That's just the way. Ah, what a little burst of energy that we got there from from that song. I really. Good. Yeah, and I appreciate it. I hope you don't mind me saying this image of your boyfriend flying like a bird during the screams of the song. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to have a laugh during your working day, haven't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And wasn't it Ch- Charlie Chaplin who said that every day that you don't laugh is a wasted day or something? So. Oh, well. I agree with that 100%. So we've come to the end of today's episode and I've enjoyed it so much. Um, It's been really just so reassuring actually to hear from two people that have achieved what we're all here for Um, and and hearing that, um, you know, about all the different kind of strategies that you guys um, developed over the course of the PhD to to get to where you are. So thank you so much for sharing. I wanted to end on maybe some reflections about what comes next uh, for... For you both and and or just in general what what you felt that was the immediate thing that came after submission and and viva in rebecca's case yeah the immediate thing that came after submission uh that was really weird in my case i immediately felt an urge to look for jobs <laughs> uh, well actually in a sense it makes sense but 
people around me told me I was crazy, so they had a point. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do feel it is really good. I mean, it, it's really nice to have completed this step of submitting. And, uh, yeah, I, I should really also emphasize this fact. Apart from the kind of struggle to find work, I, I find it really very satisfying to have been able to complete this step and now I yeah I look forward to and I've already endeavored after submission to start to live in a more holistic way so n not to be this geek who is kind of <laughs> locked up in the basement of the doctor's school <laughs> all the time yeah that's lovely thank you yeah I, exactly the same for me it was uh, my main task um, after finishing was to get myself back to a working person um, so regular exercise uh, eating better socializing seeing friends like you I think I get a lot of energy from other people being around other people so <clears throat> that was my immediate aim um, I had this job already so uh, I submitted at something like 5 a.m. from Doha wow um, my boyfriend printed it out here and submitted it and then I went to work three hours later <gasps> for two months but then I came back and I chilled out for two whole weeks and then I was thinking um, I had assumed that after that point I would just want to cruise for a little bit and not do much but I found to my horror that I was actually getting a bit bored <laughs> I wanted something to do so um, sort of slowly geared up did a round of job applications as you say um, happily got something different so I now work with um, uh, a sort of think tank based in Geneva that look at the tracking of weapons across Africa and the Middle East um, so I'm very very pleased to be there um, everything's going very nicely but I think Thomas really hit the nail on the head in terms of what's next and certainly what I've heard from other people is that it's the self that really needs that massive injection of TLC after the the PhD has has finished because burnout is just terrible and you don't want to keep going like that and you sort of rediscover the energy that you thought you had mm. lost um, and everything sort of slowly falls back into place slowly though yeah slowly yeah. gradually gradually and also one one tip for people who are still in that struggle of writing up their PhD, like you, perhaps. <laughs> uh, yeah, to, to practice mindfulness, I can really heartily recommend to everyone. So you can do it here at SOAS, and I used to go quite often, and there were only very few people. Sometimes it was one other person and me, other times it was only me. So I can just recommend everyone to go. Yeah. And it's really lovely. It's with hmm. Sheila here at SOAS. Okay, thank you. I didn't even know that that was an option. Well, I think you've both done already such a great job of giving listeners advice. Is there anything else before we say bye that, that you'd like to share? Never forget that it does end. Hmm. It does. It really does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it yeah, really does. Like and you that. won't quite believe it, but it, it, it does. Yeah. And you'll be fine. Yeah, and you'll be fine. And, and then you'll see three little birds on your doorstep, right? Thank you for uh, very smoothly bringing us then to our final song uh, chosen by Thomas. Uh, anything you would like to say about it or is it just quite self-explanatory? Yeah, and, yeah I, I think it is an invitation to let nature in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And if you can already during the process, during the struggle and if not as soon as possible after submission. Please. Thank you. Thank you again, Rebecca and Thomas, for joining me today. Uh, this was The Imposters on SOAS Radio and we'll be back next month with more from other PhD students. Thank you.